Ephesians 3.20. Join me now. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. A famous author was autographing books, and uh, a man came up who had uh, not only the book that he was that he had just produced, but a couple of his other books as well. And he said, "My my wife loves these things, so I want you to autograph them, and I'm going to give them as a birthday present." Oh, said the author, "Wonderful!" He said, uh, "A big surprise for her." And he said, "Well, yeah, it's going to be a surprise because she's expecting a Mercedes." <laughs> well, things don't always work out as planned, do they? Not even, not even when we want them to. Not even when we pray and, and work toward a particular outcome. They, they don't always work out as planned. Now, things had not worked out for the people of Israel as planned. You, you remember how they were in exile in uh, Babylon and how God had said to them, God has more plan for you than you've imagined and how, how God promised that God was going to bring them back to the land of Palestine where they would rebuild the city, they would rebuild the nation, and all the nations of the world would be able to see what God was doing through them. Well, sure enough, their prayers for coming home had been answered. They had come back. But once they got back, they found the going very difficult and the rebuilding had not taken place at the time Isaiah writes this passage of Scripture. They, they were facing all kinds of challenges. There were um, oppositions from the neighbors around them. They didn't have enough money in order to, to rebuild in the way they wanted to. They had all these difficult weather events. They they'd had drought, they had hail, they had storm, and the crops had failed. On top of it all, the Persian government, which had allowed them to come back and start over again, was now taxing them more than they could stand. Well, we have those times, don't we, where things don't work out as planned, just like they did. Times where we, we believe God is guiding us in a particular way. We believe God is leading us in a particular way. And we pray, and we pray, and we pray. And things don't work out as planned. I mean, I had one of those times some years ago when I found out that Lynn's dad, my father-in-law, had uh, contracted multiple myeloma, which is a form of cancer. And uh, the research on this was very er uh, young, very early, and they had just learned about how to do the stem cell replacement therapy, and they gave it to him. He was the oldest person who had ever had it at the time. Now, you can bet that we prayed. We prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. I can remember, it was the only time I'd, I'd ever really done this. I got up two hours before work one morning and sat in the kitchen and just prayed and prayed uh, that God would bring healing to him. And for such a long time, he, he had 100 days where he had to, had to make it. And for such a long time, he did so well. And then right at the very end, it all went south. And within three weeks, my father-in-law was dead. Now my question to you is, what do you do? What do you do in a circumstance like that? When you've been 
praying. When you think God has led you in a particular direction, what do you do when you've had a disappointment like that? You know what Isaiah did? Isaiah prayed some more about it. Isaiah prayed. Again, this, this is what he says. He says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. In other words, he's going to pray. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. So Zion, you, you've heard that word all your life. What is Zion? Zion is another way of talking about Jerusalem. It's used like 150 times in the Old Testament. But it doesn't just describe Jerusalem as a place on the map. It describes Jerusalem in the sense of emotion, how, how the people of God felt about Jerusalem, how they felt about the city, how they felt about the temple that was there. Um, because the temple had been the place where God had come to earth to be present with people. And they believed that God had come because God cared for them. God loved them. It's kind of like, Jerusalem is kind of like a, a wedding ring. Any of you have these, these wedding bands? Like, the thing about a, a wedding band is it's not the, the ring itself, although sometimes they're attractive and sometimes very expensive, at least for me. But the thing is what it represents. It reminds me that I have a wife who loves <coughs> me dearly and who wants to be with me forever. And see, that's, that's how people felt about Zion. That's how people felt about Jerusalem. That this was a place where, where God wanted to be with the people forever. And Isaiah so loved Jerusalem for that reason. Isaiah felt so drawn to Jerusalem for that reason that no matter what happened to him, he was going to continue to pray for Zion, for Jerusalem, and for God's plan there. So here's my question to you. What is it in your life that you care about so much that you will pray for even when you're discouraged? What is it in your life that you care about so much that if somebody said don't pray, you would pray anyway? For Isaiah, it was Zion. You, you remember the, the movie It's a Wonderful Life. So George Bailey has a chance to um, see what the world would be like had he not lived. And uh, it was for him a very disorienting thing. You remember uh, he, he, he finds what his wife's life would, life would have been like and, and she of course doesn't know him and that's upsetting to him. And then he finds out he, he, he doesn't have any children and then he sees all these things that are different in the town where he lives. You remember that scene where he's in the bar and he says, Lord, I am not a praying man. And a lot of us aren't praying people. Even though we, we know we should, we, we believe we ought to, but we're not really praying. He says, Lord, I'm not a praying man. He said, but if you're there, I need your help. And he prayed anyway. He prayed anyway. What is it in your life that you love so much, that concerns you so deeply 
that you're willing to pray no matter what the circumstance is. Is it your family? Is it uh, your neighbor that's sick? Is it your church? Is it the nation? What is it for Isaiah? It was Jerusalem. It was Zion. So, so what, is, what does Isaiah pray for the people of Israel? What, what does God, Isaiah pray for Zion? He, he basically prays three things. Number one, he prays that his prayers will be answered. He, he says, um, the nations shall see your vindication and the king shall see your glory. He prays that there's going to come a time when God will fulfill the answer to his prayer and the nation's going to be rebuilt. And you and I can pray the same thing. We, we, we pray that, that God will, will fulfill God's promises to the people in our lives for whom we are praying. That, that God's presence will be there. It will be real. So that's the first thing. The second thing he prays for is for a new name. He says, you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. Now, in biblical times, when somebody got a new name, it was because there had been a radical change or transition in people's lives. You, you think about Simon Peter, right? So when Jesus changed his name, it was after Peter had declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And and, and Jesus knew that Peter was going to be the leader for the church in the days ahead. And so he changed his name from Simon to Peter or Petros, which means rock. He said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Well, when you get a new name, you have a new purpose. And so uh, what Isaiah is praying here is he's praying that God's people will have a sense of God's bigger purpose for the life that they're living. You know, I pray, I pray that for us as a church all the time. It's so easy. It's so easy, like, to live your life, to go through the routine of day to day and think, well, this is, this is all there is. Not realizing that, that God has something more for us, perhaps, than we've ever really imagined or asked. I pray for that as a church. I mean, it's easy for us to, to think about our church. We're, we're a smaller church. We're, we're an older church. And think, well, that's kind of all God has for us. And I want to say no. There, there's a new purpose that God has for us, a bigger purpose, greater than we've ever imagined. And we should pray that for one another. We should pray that for our congregation. Then the third thing that Isaiah prays is that the people will know how much they've been loved and how much they have been forgiven. He says, you, uh, your land shall no more be termed desolate, but be called my delight is in her, for the Lord delights in you. These are people that had sinned. These are people that had turned away from God. And God's saying, now my delight is in you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your Lord will rejoice over you. So I heard a, a story about uh, a couple that been married. 60 years they've been married. And all this time they never had any secrets between them except for one thing. Uh, the woman had a shoebox in the closet and she forbade her husband ever to go in it. So he never did. Well, after 60 years, uh, she's on her deathbed and she tells him to go get the box. 
And he goes and gets the box, and he opens it up, and inside there's a little crocheted doll and $95,000. <laughs> he says, honey, he says, what is this? And she said, well, when I got married, mother told me that instead of arguing with you when I got so mad at you that I should just crochet a doll. And the guy goes, oh, man, this is great. That means really, you know, you've only been angry at me one time because there's only one little doll here. He says, well, honey, what, what about all this other money that's here? There's $95,000. Oh, she said, well, that's the money I got selling all those other dolls. <laughs> but she forgave him, didn't she? She forgot. It, it, is, it is the most wonderful thing to know when you are loved. And not just knowing it up here, but knowing it down there, to know that we are loved. And that's what we pray for one another, that we'll know we are loved. So think about this. I want to ask you to be involved with me just a minute. When you pray for our church, when you pray for the people of our church, what are some of the things that you pray. And I'm sure we have a lot of different things, but just tell me, speak it, speak it aloud, what's, what's something when you pray for our church? What do you pray? Energy. Pray for energy. That's, that's a really good one as we age, isn't it? Good. What else? What else do you pray? For young people. For young people. Absolutely. Thank you, John. What else do you pray? Discernment. Discernment, yes, that God will show us the way. What else? Pray for our pastor. Thank you so much. You know, I've got a, a friend. Stay down the road because he's driving so far. <laughs> I've got this friend who's a pastor, uh, and she says whenever she preaches a bad sermon, that she says, well, it's because the people of the church haven't been praying for me. So the next time I preach a clunker of a sermon, I'm going to blame you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What else do you pray for? That God will open our hearts to His call. Yeah, that God will give us a sense of that call and open our hearts to it so that we'll follow through. Well, well all these are great. The one for love in the church, love for one another. Absolutely, Hank. Absolutely. And that's, that's really where I want to go with this is that, that all the things that you're praying are very important things to pray. But, but if you boil it down to one thing, what we need to pray is, is just what Isaiah prayed, that the people, that we, that the church would know and experience God's love. That, that you in your lives, your daily lives, would know how important you are to God and how much you've been forgiven by God and how precious you are to God. I mean, every single one here because the more we know that, then the more we're going to reflect the goodness of God to the people around us. The more all these other things that we're praying for are going to find fulfillment. And then the question comes, so how often should we pray? How often should we pray? Well, listen to what Isaiah says. He says, Upon your walls, O Jerusalem, I have posted sentinels all day and all night they shall never be silent. He's saying basically, pray at all times. Pray in every circumstance. Pray in the good, pray in the bad. 
pray at all times. And of course, to do that, you all, we have to persevere, right? It, it takes a little bit of discipline. It takes a little bit of effort. Um, we have to develop habits that, that enable us to pray. He goes on to say, you who remind the Lord, take no rest and give him no rest until he has established Jerusalem and made it renowned throughout the earth. In other words, he's saying, you keep praying and, and bother God with this. You, you, like, that, like the story that Jesus tells, you, you keep praying with boldness. You bother God and you bother God and you bother God until God responds, until you see an answer to prayer and, or a change within you. And I, I say to myself, you know, I pray, but, but how can I pray like that? How, how can I learn to pray with that kind of desire and that kind of commitment? And for me, it, it, it takes us all the way back to where I began. What do you care about in your life so much that you will pray no matter what the circumstance is? What will you pray about? What do you care about so much? So I'll tell you a little story. I was 27 years old when I... Uh, became a pastor and went into my first church and full full of energy, young, all that. And I'm telling you, the first year and a half, I was flying high. I was super pastor. I was doing, bringing in all my great ideas and doing all my stuff. I was surfing on the wave. Um, and people just loved him, got excited. And then about a year and a half, the honeymoon wore off. And people went, huh, that, that baggy boy, he's right out of school. He doesn't know anything. And, uh, you know, we began to have some growth, but we were having some challenges from that growth and some conflict, and I was scratching my head and going, oh, I don't know what to do. And you know what? I needed to pray. I just really, really needed to pray, but, but the truth is I didn't know how to. Now, not in any significant way. And you say, well, You'd been to graduate school. You, you were studying to be a pastor. You were already a pastor. You didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't pray. That's, that's what I would say is I didn't really pray. So I packed up my bags. I went up to see a professor of mine who was a friend at seminary. I said, Ben, I don't know how to pray. What do I do? And he asked me. He asked me, what, what have you been doing? I said, well... I've got on my calendar two or three times a week where I go in and I sit down and I've got a prayer list and I pray through that prayer list and I read some Bible. But being my heart's not in it. Some, something's wrong. What, what do I do? Here's what he said. He said, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to go back through your life. I want you to think about all the good things that have happened to you and all the bad things that have happened to you. And I want, want you to ask the question, where's God been in all of that? And then he said, I want you to read this little book. And he flopped the book over on me. It was about this thing, very thin, called More Than Wanderers. He said, it's a book about prayer by an Episcopalian priest. Now, now, you know, these days I understand the power and value of different denominations. But back then I wasn't as compassionate. I wasn't as understanding. I wasn't as open and I thought Episcopalian folks just really hadn't quite figured it out yet. I mean, Robin Williams used to talk about himself being an Episcopalian. He said there were three reasons he was an Episcopalian. Number one, they didn't handle snakes. 
Number two, they did pew aerobics. You know, squatting and kneeling and all that. He said number three, because they gave you free wine on Sundays. And that was kind of my idea. But he gave me this book. He said, read it. You know what the guy said in the book? Basically what I've been saying to you. What, what's going on in your life, Tom? Think about that first. What do you really care about? What, what gets you up at night? What keeps you awake at night? What are you worried about? What are you joyful about? What do you care about the most? That's what he said in this book. He said, you, you think about that first. And then you won't be able to help but pray. And, and truth is, you all, I found that to be true over the years. That, that, that just like Isaiah says, for Zion's sake, I won't be able to keep silent. You know, for, for the sake of, of whatever those concerns are in my life, I have not been able to keep quiet. And by God's goodness, I've been praying ever since. So I want to say that to you. Maybe in your, maybe in your life you struggle to pray. Prayer, prayer is the key for moving into the future. In your own life or in our lives as a church, prayer is the key for moving ahead. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Think about what you care about. Think about what you're concerned about. Think about what's going on in your life. And you go deep enough in that, I promise you, you're going to pray. And God will be honored. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. So.